welcome back to God's Work Displayed. So this is the first episode of the podcast where we are shifting gears somewhat. We're still staying true to holding tight to biblical um, truth, but we are going to be focusing on some wider uh, perspective of what what does the Bible say about life, um, how to live life um, while following Christ. Obviously, um, before I go any further, we have to just state, like, if you're not trusting in Jesus, this doesn't do you any good. And so uh, I implore you to to turn to Christ. Um, if you have any questions about that, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm glad to talk to you. We can figure out where you live and plug you into a healthy church in that area as well. So that's, that's of the utmost importance for this. Um, hopefully you listened to the previous uh, little interlude discussion I had, just so you know where we're going. So this today, uh, we're going to be talking about scripture and agriculture. Uh, I haven't decided how many parts um, this short little series is going to be. And that's short. It could be a long series. So I don't know how many parts it's going to be. After agriculture, we're going to move into food because obviously that's a very natural um, transition there's probably going to be a lot of uh, sacred cows uh, that are going to be sacrificed on this stuff so um, you might think um, that what you're doing is biblical and maybe you are I'm doing a dangerous route here I'm hoping to prick some consciences um I will not call something a sin if it is not clearly stated as a sin, but I hope to help you have a more full worldview, biblical worldview, so that your choices are wiser. And when we talk about wisdom, that's something uh, that uh, is not talked about in Scripture much. Maybe we'll talk about this later, but wisdom is not uh, what is the most economical or the most um, advantageous or the most efficient? It Wisdom is what is most God-honoring, what is most Christ-like, because Christ is the embodiment of wisdom. So, as we get into Scripture and discussion of agriculture, uh, we're going to be asking those questions. So to start us off, I want to go ahead and just read a psalm um, because we're going to start discussing creation first. And um, the psalms do an excellent job of singing about creation and uh, rejoicing in it. And this is probably a psalm that many people are used are familiar with. So it's going to be Psalm 8. And it is for the choir director on the Gittith, a psalm of David. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. Because of your adversaries, to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than it, God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. 
You make him to rule over the works in your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So, to start off, and this, this psalm kind of t- touched on it somewhat. We've talked a lot about this um, in previous podcasts, is about the being made in the image of God. And so we, we talk about how that is being vice regents of God. And so a vice regent, what a vice regent must do is to consider what would my um, sovereign, what would my king do? I'm going to th- try to think like him. I'm going to try to act like him. And so I'm going to do things that he would do. So we, in a sense, being made in the image of God calls us to try to put on the mind of God. Or in New Testament parlance, to put on the mind of Christ. To be like Christ. And he is our he is the image of the invisible God. And so we look to him as how we should act and how we should live. So when it comes to creation, we have to think, how how does God care for creation? How does he take care of it um and so that's one of the essence of that you know you think about what you own how do you take care of the things that are precious and important to you now i don't want this to be confused with uh creation is not higher in value in god's mind than humanity okay because we are the image bearers Creation serves us. And so, we have to put on the mind of Christ. Um, when we turn to First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians, and we look in chapter 1, it's one of my favorite passages, and it talks about, in verse, starting in verse 13, who Christ is, and um, what he has done for us. And so, I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to read um, from Romans as well, and then we'll talk a little more about that. So this is uh, Colossians 1, 13 through 20. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So, talking about all creation there. And then in Romans chapter 12, and many of you probably are familiar with this one as well. Um, and just, uh, just, to, just a reminder, I'm, I'm reading from the New American Standard every time. Alright, so in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. 
Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we need to have our minds transformed and to think like Christ. So the reason I do that before we talk about Genesis. So I want you to be thinking of this so that a lot of translations, may, you may be in your Bible right now looking. If you go to Genesis 2, um, and then 2, 5, um, sorry, not 2.15, that we're going to get to that in a second. Um, chapter 1, verse 26, uh, and through 28, okay? And um, we're, I want to read that, and then we'll highlight some aspects. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on, over the, on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on earth. And then we skip forward to chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord took man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. All right. So one of the oftentimes what happens is people... In that uh, chapter one part, they're taught that God, uh, God gives man dominion over things, and and that's true. The problem is in English, dominion we think of um, absolute control and um, exploitation, exploitative behaviors. Um, but then, if you've ever gardened, you know that that doesn't make sense for a gardener. Uh, and God put him in a garden. So it, it also sets up this. But we also know that God is not exploitive. He doesn't just use up stuff and then create new things. He, It's very obvious in creation that he has created a system that is um, not quite a closed system, but a system that renews itself. It's part of God's creation, his wise um, mandate of how all things work together. Uh, it has to do with the chemical processes, the carbon cycle, the water cycle, um, as well as the nitrogen cycle. There's actually one of those. In addition to the uh, microbial life that occurs in the soil, the fungal life that occurs in the soil, um, these incredibly small creatures that are bigger than microscopic, but, you know, the microbiota, as we would call them, um, even into just the physics of soil and what's happening. So when we think about what, how would God, how would Jesus care for land? How would God perform agriculture? It doesn't make any sense for them to, to burn up the resources that are immediately available. This also goes for mining and things like that too. <clears throat> it doesn't make sense to have a practice where um, short-term things cause in order to have a big harvest what you do is you do a thing that utilizes all the chemicals in the soil 
quickly, and then you have to replenish it with artificial chemicals that don't really help, don't feed the soil, and don't feed all the microbiota and the bacteria and the fungi that are in, in the soil, but instead just goes um, into some of the plants, but then oftentimes it's also washed out into the water, which then damages other things and kills other creatures. Causes algal bloom, algal blooms, and and eutrophication, um, and all that stuff. It doesn't make sense. That's not how God would do it. So, what is the farming practice I'm talking about? Tilling, tilling your soil harm harms things. Tilling your soil is bad. Um, there's, in fact, science is consistently saying that only industrial agriculture pushes for tilling. Uh, because they like the short-term gains at the expense of the long-term benefits. Um, what happens is when you till soil, it introduces a lot of oxygen into the soil, also destroys the soil structure. That oxygen then allows certain bacteria to take off while other bacteria die, uh, causing a quick release of certain chemicals that then the roots of the plants suck up, however, at the expense of the fungal um, mycelia, and mycorrhizal um, filaments. And so, yes, the plants benefit that year, that growing season, but then the next season you have to feed it tons of garbage fertilizer, um, like industrial-produced phosphorus, nitrogen, potassium, uh, which may not even be the same it has further problems later on down the road. Uh, and so then that increases your cost as well, uh, ignoring the whole compaction issue that you have with soil. So there's lots of books out there about how that's bad. Why do I say that? Well, maybe you don't garden. That's okay, although I encourage you to. Just a small scale to kind of connect with how God's created things. He, he made us all to garden to some degree, it seems like. But... The other part of this is that, um, where you, what kind of vegetables you buy? You know, if you're encouraging that, if you're encouraging farmers to do that, then you're just harming uh, your children, your grandchildren, things like that. You have to think about that way as well. But it's also not how God would do it. He cares about further generations, but he also cares about his creation. And so... I think a lot of those farmers just sometimes don't realize that they're fed a lot of those that by industrial agriculture ex experts, uh, extension offices, which are owned by land grant universities, which are also controlled by um, industrial ag. So that goes further with GMO seeds, um, because what they're doing is they're bioengineering, which you'll now see in your food labels. I would I would discourage you from buying things that are bioengineered. Um, those bioengineered things uh, are addressing certain disease and pest issues, which would be uh, um, resolved if they had farms that were healthy in terms of soil, in terms of plant and animal diversity. Um, and you can actually grow an incredible number of vegetables on. Um, just small acreage, one to five acres. You can feed hundreds of people if you if you have the right principles. So some of their arguments are are, are moot. Additionally, uh, 
one of the things I've read recently is, you know, they, they tout how American industrial agriculture is super efficient. And it is in only one aspect, is that one person can do a phenomenal amount of work using these giant machineries. But when you look at the economic efficiency, it's actually incredibly inefficient. The only way they can survive is through government subsidies and not through their own, their own good work. Um, it also is inefficient in terms of food production because food or, let's see, uh, bioavailable calories per square foot are as much lower on a monocropped area than it would be in a diversified um, farm. So you actually produce less edible food per square foot in those industrial ag areas. So that's one of those. So that's kind of the vegetable end. If we look at animals, it gets into even more. Is how do you raise your animals? So for if suppose efficiency's sake, they you know put pigs, cows, and uh, chickens into small areas. Um, obviously, for meat animals, they push them in and they pump them full of steroids and antibiotics and um, hormones just to get them big and the problem is is that there's no there's very limited nutritional benefit to them at that point uh, they help lead to more outbreaks of different um, infections in the human population and they create antibiotic resistant bacteria as well it's also not efficient when you think about like they only have in small groups areas and um, they have to ship them long distances after they've slaughtered the animals but it's also just not caring well for God's creation. The, those are it's abuse is what happens. Now I'm all for eating meat. I think it's good. God gave us meat to eat. Um, it's very clear in Scripture that He did. Um, I preached on Psalm 104 not too long ago, and that was one of the principles: is that God gave us uh, the herbs of the field and the beasts of the field to eat, and it's for our benefit. So. Um, also, I've talked about meat, but that's also for the egg-laying chickens and that. So what we need to look at is how did God create animals? How did, how did he create them to live? And then you, you find people who have a farming practice that emulates that. So with cows, they need to be on the grass all the time, never grain-fed, not even grain-finished. Um, it's not good. Um, pigs should be in forests, eating nuts and stuff chickens can be about anywhere um and there's a lot of additional farming practices you can do that are good those are just kind of wide swaths um like i said i'll try to uh, create like a reading list on goodreads uh, god's work displayed is what i'll call it you can email me at god's work displayed at gmail.com if you have questions about some of that so that's that's one of those big things that i think um and, and so you, then you're saying, well, how do you prove that biblically? Well, here's the thing. The Bible is not an agricultural textbook. Um, now, it references agriculture quite a bit. And, in fact, I've learned a lot by doing some different things. Um, like, I harvested wheat this past year. Well, that helped me kind of understand more of what the Bible was talking about when it was talking about wheat harvest and the book of Ruth and the threshing floor and all that kind of stuff helped me see better. So it references agriculture, but it doesn't tell us how to do it. It does give us a couple things about what's wise, how to take care of animals. And if you turn to Exodus, um, 
in Leviticus, and I'll just read the Exodus one, I think. Um, but the, there's a Leviticus passage that pretty much is, is identical. Um, and it just kind of... Actually, let me read the Leviticus one. It might be a little bit better. Uh, it's more thorough, actually, now that I think about it. So it's Leviticus 25, uh, and it's going to be verses 3 through 7. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crop. But during the seventh year the land shall have another a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Your harvest after growth sh you shall not reap, and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. The land shall have a sabbatical year. All of you shall have the Sabbath produ products of the land for food, yourself and your male and your female slaves, and your hired man and your foreign resident, those who live as aliens with you. Even your cattle and the animals that are in your land shall have all its crops to eat. So what it's saying is that sometimes you need to give your land a break. You don't need to work it really hard. Um, in modern agriculture, a lot of times we do cover cropping. And we and you do allow your land to go fallow sometimes. And you just put a... The cover crop is not to be harvested. It's just there to protect the soil um, and to, to replenish it. And so that, that is a principle. And with the animals, like sometimes you just... And that... I think highlights the fact that you just need to treat your animals well. They are God's creation. They are not, you know, they are not um, living souls that have an eternal destiny, but they are God's creation. Um, so, in addition, and uh, we'll see another one. Paul references this in First Timothy five eighteen, but he's hearkening back to Deuteronomy twenty five four, where he says to let the ox. Um, uh, Thresh, uh, let me find that real quick. Hopefully, you know what I'm talking about. Deuteronomy 25:4. You shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. What happens? What he's referring to, and you may not understand that, but if you wholly heard, it's like let him eat. And so, what happens is that when they're threshing, they have an oxen or donkey or some other large animal walking around in a circle on the threshing floor, and it's usually pulling a um weight of some sort and what it's doing is it's pushing down the, the grain that you have whichever it is different kinds and it pops out the the berries of that that's what you call like wheat berries and barley and all that the, the actual grain kernels and so uh, sometimes the oxen will get hungry and so you let the oxen eat a little bit he's, not, he's doing all the work for you why not treat him well so that's what that's talking about uh, Paul uses that to explain why you should pay pastors well and that's it's a legitimate um, thing to do. So, so obviously I've talked about the vegetables, but that means with eating uh, meat, what do you do? Well, you find farmers who are raising their meat in a, in a biblically ethical way that care for their creation. There's other health benefits to that as well. Uh, we know that there's the lipid profile of beef cattle when it's fed on grass is different than grain-fed. Um, also, if you feed cattle grain, they actually develop like severe issues, and it kills them quickly over time. But uh, the, yeah, the lipid profile uh, is more beneficial, healthier. Um, so, so that's one of the things. You know, the chicken. What we, you know, you can use the. Ch it's more expensive, but you know, if you get the terrible chickens, you can't make chicken broth from it because their their bones have no nutrients in them. Whereas if you get Healthy chickens, they have lots of nutrients in their bones so that you can even make good chicken broth. Uh, 
and it tastes better too that way. So same with pigs, uh, sheep, goats, things like that. Find farmers who are raising it well. Do those farmers have to be Christian? No. Um, but if you know a Christian farmer who's doing it right, I would support him or her. Um, I keep bees. There's also some ethical considerations with beekeeping that, that you can explore. Um, you know, I, in terms of sustainability and, and healthy practices, and that's a different issue we can get into. So, what I'm saying... So, the other issue is, is, is shipping. So, a lot of times, what the reason... People are hesitant to this. Is one, they don't want to be considered hippies that are part of a, a creation worshiping cult. Well, there are people like that, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't um, have our practices, have our life, um, just to follow whatever the commercial interests are, or whatever we're told is is the cheapest way to go. That's another issue. Is that we oftentimes want to go with the cheapest route so we can save up money for whatever. This is where we're going to start heading into some hard things. So I want you to really look at your budget for your food. Good food costs more. But you also don't go to the hospital. You don't have to go to the doctor as often. Or you, some of your health problems are reduced. You have health problems. Or you prevent some health problems. You also don't have to ship things from so far away if you're buying locally sourced food and yes it is more expensive but more nourishing so sometimes you don't need to eat as much um and one of the things i find interesting is when we if we tie back to people with intellectual disabilities people with a lot of dis physical disabilities is why do we give them the cheap junk I read a book recently by Norman Wurzba and Fred Bonson, and I can't remember the name of it at this moment. Uh, and one of them, in one of their chapters, pointed out, why do we why do we give the cheap Campbell's soup and Chef Boyardee garbage to the homeless, to those in need? Why don't we feed them good things that are nourishing? Why do we try to give people the cheapest stuff? You know, it's a hard question. We've my family, we've looked at our um, budget for a long time, just looking at stuff, and um, we've chosen not to to buy some discretionary to buy some things that are uh, with our discretionary funds to up our food budget because we try to buy good stuff. And, you know, there's a reason why we don't have this or that or all those things, and I think it's worthwhile because then we also means that we're not running around doing crazy things all the time. We eat together as a family almost every night. And, you know, a lot of times it's lunch and breakfast, but that's probably my type of job I have. So that helps build um, relationships in our family. But also um, how we treat guests in our home. Should we feed them good things or should we feed them garbage? Well, it might be worth it to spend more money to, to show hospitality and to love others by feeding them well. So there's a lot to talk about. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about some more specifics that we can do to, uh, to move in this manner.
Welcome back from break. <clears throat> now we're going to look at some practical ways that we can apply how Scripture speaks about agriculture, about food, um, and some some ways that individuals can do that and, and churches. So we're going to stay focused on just the agricultural aspect, and then in a later episode we'll do some food and dietary issues. <clears throat> but for now, like I said, we'll stick to the agricultural aspect. So one of the things that we can do as individuals is if you have some property and you have some yard, you need to get rid of your yard. I say that and people are like, what? My yard's so nice. I got to get it pristine. It's so healthy because it's all green. Well, actually, your yard is not healthy if it's just all grass. Um, ecologically, that's very unhealthy. Monocropping, is, that's technically what it is still, is monocropping one crop one plant and so that's very indicative of unhealthy soil and soil is the basis for all this so you, you don't want that um, so what I recommend is get rid of your yard one why waste uh, energy mowing and time and stuff when you're not getting anything productive out of it so that's something I'm slowly getting rid of is my yard and it can take a little while depending on how you do it and what you're wanting and stuff but um, Get rid of your yard. Instead, put in a garden. Put in fruit trees. Put in fruit bushes. Other perennials like uh, horseradish, rhubarb. Um, there's several other kinds. Burdock. You can eat the roots of burdock. So <clears throat> do that. Grow a garden. Uh, don't buy seedlings unless you know the person who's raising the seedlings or starting them and know where they're getting their stuff from, their seeds and things. Instead, buy seeds and start them. You can even start them inside, or you can start. You can plant them straight outside. It's it's fine. There's different ways to do it, and it's it's easy enough. And it, seeds are way cheaper. You can start way more. <clears throat> uh, you can thin them, get rid of them. It's way easier to do it that way, and way better too. You're not shipping heavy things, all that. So start a garden. If you don't have space, say you're in an apartment, get some pots and potting soil and start some plants things you like now there's some things you can't really grow in pods because it just doesn't do well but <clears throat> research what what you like to eat don't grow if you don't like tomatoes then don't grow tomatoes that's dumb <clears throat> but if you like tomatoes then grow them uh, and so just grow things that you like to eat and if they grow well in pots then that's something you can easily do so <clears throat> what i would recommend is that you steadily try to try to grow more food more and more of what your groceries are I mean that you have to eat seasonally. So you shouldn't be eating um, fresh tomatoes in February. That doesn't make any sense. One, you know, so they don't taste good. So why have them shipped from Ecuador to where to where you are when you can have, <clears throat> you could have uh, frozen them or canned them or any of those kind of things. <clears throat> All right, so next thing you can do. Um, be careful where you buy your stuff. So... Organic is better than what we call conventional stuff, but you have to understand that organic here in the United States is really not that great. Once the USDA took over that labeling, um, it became very commercialized, very industrialized, and so the rules really are to benefit large industrial farmers still. And so it's just what we call greenwashing. It just makes you feel good, makes you feel virtuous, virtuous but you're not really being virtuous. Um, like I said, it is better than other things. Same with like eggs and meat. <clears throat> it may say free range or cage free, but the rules on that are um, 
just very makes it very easy for industrial people to comply with the rules and still have unhealthy animals. So <clears throat> really, I would really encourage you to find farmers in your area that are raising animals and food and all that stuff the way that they should be. And then, you know, you can get your eggs from them, get your meat from them, uh, including milk. Uh, and, you know, that's a trickier one, um, you know, and people feel different ways about milk and if, whether it should be raw or not um, and state laws and stuff. But uh, depending on how, but even if you don't want to get raw milk, finding farmers close to you who have, that are dairy farmers that are doing a good job uh, is a good way to go. A uh, quick aside on that raw milk thing. I, what I have seen and what I feel like I experience is that those farmers who are raising uh, or producing raw milk are actually cleaner and health, healthier healthier animals because the pasteurization process uh, lets, um, one, it destroys some nutrients, but also kind of like a, it's like how Starbucks uh, overcharged their, their, their roast uh, beans. And so, like, it just uh, covers a lot of errors let's say that much so that's that's my part on it but but either way it's whatever your conscience commits and and this being said all this is on your conscience you know if your conscience is not pricking you about this issue then then you are not sinning i, I want i want to be very clear about that but if your conscience is bothering you about this then this is a sin issue as well <clears throat> okay so next on um so, like I said, so try to find farmers who are doing what's called regenerative or biodynamic farming or permaculture. And there's different terms and stuff. What you need to do is just talk to them and say, like, how are you raising animals? Can I come see how this, how you do things? This also goes for wheat, <coughs> or not just wheat, but cereal grains. Wheat, rye, barley. There's um, some other types of cereal grains. Uh, try to buy them locally. And if you can get them ground, that's better. Uh, make your own bread. And making your own bread, doing sourdough is a better way than than a bread machine or, or instant rise yeast, um, just because of the nutritional value, which we'll talk about later. <clears throat> so there's a lot of different changes, little changes that you can make as an individual um, with how you purchase your food and what you do and how you raise your food. So, if, and if if you have room, uh, raise chickens for for meat and eggs. If you have even more room, you can move up to slightly larger animals, goats, sheep, which goats trickier just because they can get out of about everything enclosure you have <clears throat> rabbits if you feel comfortable eating rabbits is another option they can also provide good fertilizer things like that so uh, be thinking about those kind of options you have there depending on how much land you have you may have a lot of options you know uh, fruit trees and fruit rushes take a few years to get going um, but once they're going you know there's you Literally, money is growing on trees because if you think about how much fruit is and you buy that, then great. Try not to spray pesticides, okay? What you do instead is you raise lots of different um, things in your yard, uh, different types of flowers and stuff that attract different um, pollinators, which attract different predators, which then reduce the insect populations. So there's lots of things you can look into and learn to to. <clears throat> raise your own food okay let's move and in addition try to grow extra if you can to give to those in need particularly in your church 
Um, Because we first have a duty to the household of God, so those in our congregation, and then afterwards outside. So widows, orphans, those in need uh, in your church body, they're members in good standing. Not just attenders, but members. Uh, And then uh, from there, you kind of make your priorities. So next, churches. What can churches do? Well, depending on where the church building is located, because most churches have buildings, um, and make sure that you understand that distinction. Uh, one, a lot of church buildings love to have giant parking lots, which is not great. <clears throat> um, but sometimes that's a uh, necessary evil, let's say. So depending on where your church is located, building is located and, and what kind of property you have, it gives you some different options. So what I would say is that if your church building has lots of land, that is undeveloped, have a community garden, have a, what's called a food forest. Uh, if you're not sure, look that up. You can email me at godsworkdisplayed at gmail.com if you have questions about that. Lots of fruit trees, lots of medicinal herbs, different types of um, edible herbs, and, you know, even like oregano and thyme and stuff like that. <clears throat> Grow, you can have lots of options with a garden and, and a church property you could have an allotment garden where people um, get an allotment of like the size you can do that different ways with how they are allowed to use that who can use it you know cost and all that kind of stuff and or you can have a community garden where the church as a whole pitches in to grow one big garden um and based on that and, and i would say that you should really have the church discourage use of pesticides um discourage the use of tilling since that we talked about earlier damages soil um, damages creatures and then that's not being good stewards of creation <clears throat> as our mandate is is to be good stewards of creation since we're made in the image of god and we need to image christ as redeemed beings <clears throat> so <clears throat> within that community garden depending on what you're growing and stuff if you have extra one feed the feed the people in your church first and then that can be it a ministry as well. Let's <clears throat> say so you have a large homeless population in your, in your area. Well, instead of feeding them garbage that comes out of cans and packages, why don't you feed them good stuff? It would ad- and which would address a lot of their health issues and the fact that you would have to then think about them for so long and to prepare the food and help prepare the food for them and give them a good meal, that gives them dignity. Whereas when you're giving them garbage, it, it actually takes away dignity. So I think um, growing grains, um, so you can make bread for them, growing fruits and vegetables. If you can raise animals on the property, do it. That, that's a lot trickier, I'm sure. Uh, but that's how you can do it. Having bees on the property, so you have honey available. If you have... Um, sugar maples on your property tap them tap the sugar maples have a big church party where you do the you know you um, boil down the the sap into syrup you know this you can make this into a really neat um, way of fellowship with believers uh, inviting non-believers in and to find this joy in things that are communal instead of um it doesn't always have to be teaching. It doesn't have to be uh, cultural things like uh, Super Bowl parties. That's very cultural and kind of separates people. Whereas like food is something that we all have in common. <clears throat> and it's a way to connect to people 
That's why Jesus used a lot of food metaphors and agriculture metaphors and, par and parables. So parables are ex essentially extended metaphors. So think about that. Think about how you can do that with your church building. Instead of, um, if you're doing the landscaping for your church and people are talking about these beautiful trees, don't buy trees that are just beautiful and, and that's it. But think about getting trees that can be harvested, you know. I know people complain about fruit, fallen fruit and stuff. Well, if you have enough volunteers that want to pick up fruit or pick the fruit, then it won't be an issue. If you invite people to come and get free fruit, you it won't be an issue. Now, obviously, with home, the homeless population, people who are in need, sometimes there's a resistance to good food uh, because they're unfamiliar with it. So your church could possibly even do, teach classes on how to cook and prepare this food <clears throat> and then that way is a way to connect with the people instead of just giving them. It's it's you're actually being in their lives. That can create some discipling opportunities as well. And sometimes evangelism takes place through disciples. You know, you spend time with somebody, you get to know them. They recognize that you're invested in them and that you do care about them. And so there's um, opportunities to share the gospel over and over again, and it has deep meaning to them. It's not some it's not a sense of, oh, I've done my gospel duty to to share that, you know, to talk about Jesus. But it's, how does that look in this life? <clears throat> so this is, it's a lot of opportunities to connect with um, local governments, uh, local schools, whether private or public, um, to involve them in these kind of things as well. So these are the ways that we can, if, you have, if your church has a lot of property, it, and it can also uh, be a way of, of protecting, Maybe your church could even have its own farm. You have interns there. <clears throat> um, I'll even go as far as saying that <clears throat> um, I think that, like the seminary I went to, and I've seen some other seminary campuses, they have a lot of open space that could be used for gardens, for fruit trees and bushes, to provide food, not just for the students and the faculty, but also for those in need. You know, re helping reach out to the local church and say, hey, we've got this um, several bushels of apples that we grew on our property. Do you have some people who could use these? <clears throat> Thinking about that, how can we change that? Why do we always have to have, why do we see this traditional landscaping uh, that the culture has told us is beautiful versus what, what does the Bible tell us is beautiful? And, um, we didn't get into this, but just talking about how when the, God's people in the Old Testament were about to go into the promised land. The promise of, of it was a land flowing in milk and honey, but there's also talks about fruit trees and how to, how to care for them and not to use them, not to destroy them. And <clears throat> indicative of also is that if you have a lot of honey, that means you have a lot of flowering um, plants, trees, bushes, herbaceous plants. Uh, that's, that's a very vibrant ecosystem. If you have a lot of honey and with the milk, you know, it's not just cows that produce milk, sheep and goats do too. And so they had good um, pasture, good forage. Well, that's not always just grass. So <clears throat> particularly for goats, you know, they don't eat really, they don't like to eat grass much. They eat some other things, the ruminants. Uh, well, they're more like deer than, than cows. And so there was a, there was a very vibrant ecosystem in there. And that promise of goodness, and God promises us, he wants us to have good things here too. And that's why if we 
will steward our what we've been given well in terms of our, what's created the created order, then we won't have abundance, and we can care for those, the poor, which God, Jesus told us will be with us always. So, I, I really want you to think about what can you do as an individual in your own property. Uh, what can your church do? How how can you all? do that and then also as a training way of, of teaching people how to grow their food and then looking towards that i found that when i've grown things i understand the bible more i grew wheat this past year and I harvested it and parts of the bible just came alive to me because i had the experience <clears throat> so it's a really neat thing you can do just personally or within a church so um be thinking be praying um, about how you can produce to feed yourself and to care for your soil care for the things around like your your local church can do that as well even your at a denominational level and if you have seminaries near you or bible colleges it's the same thing and so and, and thinking about the principles of gleaning even you know if you know the story of ruth um where Ruth gets to glean the fields, and that's because that's enshrined in Old Testament law, and Boaz is respecting that because he knows that God's laws are good and his commands are good. And so not only do you glean um, wheat, but you can glean other things too. And I just recently read a book. We talked about there's gleaning clubs in different places. Well, what if your church property or your Bible college or your seminary had um, areas where Students could glean or other people could come and glean and so producing for lots of people. So I just want you to be praying and think about it. I love feedback on what you think about this and it's at God's work displayed at gmail.com. And I'm glad we're getting back into it. We'll see what the next episode is. Uh, probably we'll start turning towards um, something I'll have a little more <clears throat> pushback and that's probably dietary issues. And since we're, we're rooted in agriculture, we kind of will build, build off that foundation, um, biblically, obviously, but, but what we've looked at agriculturally. Um, and maybe we'll even have uh, some other things come along the pipe. So uh, please give me feedback, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting back into this. All right.